1: This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to All Elite Wrestling and the Elite Extended Universe. I'm Aaron Bentley, and it seems I might be a little loud for one of my friends and co-hosts, Nate, a.k.a. Epidesis. What's up, Nate? Am I too loud?
2: I, You know, I don't know if you're too loud or if I'm just uh, hypersensitive to, to sound and light because I'm still in a fugue state. After returning uh, from Japan, like almost a full week ago now, but you know, as as I know, you were also experiencing. I've been waking up at like two a.m., three a.m., four a.m. <laughs> all this week. So, you know, at our recording time presently, really, really starting to crash pretty hard. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight, and I'm gonna hang in there and try and and do this podcast for all of our real EE pod heads out there.
1: Yeah, last night there was a Kentucky game, and then dynamite. So I literally took a set my alarm and took a 15 minute nap because I knew I would not make it through both of those things otherwise. So it's been uh, pretty miserable coming back to be honest. So yeah, much, much more miserable coming back than going, going was,
2: was pretty easy. Uh, I don't know if it's just the flight times that we happen to have, but yeah, it's, it's been rough. Also, it's, that's really, uh, exacerbated by the fact that the United States is just much worse than the city of Tokyo you know it's i true. can't speak i can't speak to uh japan as a whole but uh tokyo is just delightful it's just uh you know if they cleaned up to uh new york city so there weren't trash on the streets all the time and made it just extremely livable and pleasant
1: one day a real rain's going to come Nate. That's, i don't know uh, what that means what's that mean is that a it's, reference it's a taxi driver reference come on i haven't seen it what <laughs> oh, you yeah, haven't seen a movie i haven't seen taxi driver no nah jesus christ
2: it's, it's on my queue i'll never get around to it mm. <laughs> you know Alex like scorsese 8 oh but you know it, it seems to me that it's uh really a pale imitation of this i don't know if you've heard of this new one joker <laughs> so
1: why why watch taxi
2: driver when you can watch joker uh, that's what i say
1: i was wondering which what you were going to pull out there i was not disappointed we're also joined of course by mike spears what's up mike
0: Hey y'all, it's your old pal Mike Spears. I don't know what y'all are talking about. Like I feel great. Like <laughs> it is like 7:30 at night. This we're still like in the deep of winter, but it's been like 60 degrees out. Everything's been fantastic. I don't know what y'all are talking about with like this jet lag thing. I think that's fake.
2: Yeah, see that's really it, it it is ignorance is bliss, you know, because when you haven't gone and spent 2 weeks in Tokyo and experienced how much better life can be. It's easy to feel more comfortable, but, you know, really just came came right back and was just like, oh, yeah, no, this is this is much less good than it could be.
0: Man, I I mean, I'm I'm living my best life right now. I uh, got myself an iced tea maker. So I've been doing that. Been digging on some caramel cheddar popcorn. Like I'm doing good. Like make sure the house didn't burn down while you're gone. So,
1: yeah, wait till you can pick up tea at the family mart. okay? then get back to me. (laughs)
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, I I do miss the the opportunity of different canned beverages, and that's what I'm most down about,
1: about not going to Japan.
2: So many beverages, coffees.
1: But but here's the problem with beverages in Japan. Let me tell you about the problem beverages (laughs) in Japan. You can't drink them anywhere. You got to, like, find a designated area to drink your juices.
2: No, I feel, see, I feel like canned... Beverages and beverages at to the top are fine to take a little sip on. You were buying these ridiculous things with like <laughs> straws that you would punch into them that like in juice boxes, like these are yeah, not, these are me. not fit to be consumed in public.
1: Yeah. I, well, I didn't buy any more of those after I spilled like grape juice all over myself on the first day we were there. <laughs> yeah. That's
2: a, uh, that's an amateur Tokyo move right there.
1: It was, it was I have to cop to that. All right. Well, obviously Nate and I are back uh i'm just pushing all over this show since i got to make up for two weeks of uh of talking so make sure you're following us on twitter at everything aew i'm at aaron like the car nate is at Epitasis. mike is at fuji Heya. i noticed he spelled it out completely on both the shows when i wasn't around so that means he wishes i would do that i'm sorry mike
0: oh i don't and he care did,
1: he did not do it
0: yeah <laughs> oh, oh, i don't care that's that, that, a lot that, of letters it's nine letters, buddy, and a lot of them are the same. Ooh. At least two of them.
1: <laughs> That's funny.
2: It's F U J I I H E Y A. That's it's, right.
1: It's Fuji. Fuji yeah, house, right? right?
0: Fuji room.
1: It's right. Fuji yeah, get the right you know,
0: get the right definition of uh, what a heia or bea is out here. Real sumo, just ignorance being displayed here by Aaron Bentley.
1: Sorry, but I learned like six Japanese phrases. I don't have room for any more in my head.
0: But did you display proper etiquette at the show? No,
1: clearly I didn't. I tried my best, but I failed uh, (laughs) with some some consistency. (laughs) It was really just not eating and drinking in public. I was bad at that. Other than that, I think I did a pretty good job of being polite.
0: That's fair. I mean, if Mama Spears was here, she would ask you if you were born in a barn for that i just breaking out the uh, Southern Witticism there for Nate because I know he's missed them. So there you go.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Uh, Subscribe to this podcast, obviously. Make sure you're getting it as soon as it comes out. You can subscribe by searching Everything Elite on the podcast app of your choice or the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. If you're on the Apple podcast app, give us a rating and review. What are we going to talk about this week? We're going to play Elite or Delete, of course. It's back. We're going to run down this week's episode of Dynamite. We got ratings to talk about. And there's some news, some new signings, some new people who didn't sign with AEW. And of course, there was a big announcement about a television deal extension. And we're going to talk about that toward the end of the show. Before we get into that, I want to remind you, of course, about patreon.com slash everything elite. We got three tiers. Go sign up. You can get more content about all elite wrestling but also more content about other stuff that we like to talk about this week mike did uh, breaking strong hearts episode one haven't gotten to listen to it yet but episode zero was fantastic so i'm looking forward to it mike
0: yeah this one is all about the premiere show of owe from february of 2018 which is kind of wild doing a show that old as a kind of a rewatch and review but i thought it was really kind of interesting and then talking about owe news there is Something that I drop in the news of this episode that, to my knowledge, has not been reported anywhere else. So so that's a little teaser. But yeah, no, it was fun, you know, just talking about how kind of much of a fever dream this show was. Like, I know, Nate, you watched some of that OWE show, and it's just so completely different than what any other concept of wrestling is.
2: Yeah, I was a huge fan of that first show. It was, in fact, the only OWE show I ever watched. But, you know, uh, peaks with the highlight of having genuine uh, idol group come out at the end to sing to the to the ace of Promotion and inspire him to, you know, fight and do his best and struggle to survive. Uh, Just fantastic piece of entertainment.
1: If you missed hearing what I thought about Dynamite the last two weeks, I buddy, I did a Patreon episode, a little elite or delete about both of the episodes that I missed. It's gotten rave reviews from Aaron Taup. That's really good. (laughs) But, you know at least sure. from Arizona
2: do want to shout out that you know Elite or Delete the uh, the game that's sweeping not only the United States but also the nation of Japan had some uh you know people in the missions putting it over uh so i just wanted to, basically the, the DDT translator guy was like yeah Elite or Delete so you know oh, check did it I? out i missed that yeah you didn't see that
1: oh no that was in yeah. our missions
2: Yeah, Mr. Hakusan was saying, uh, no, it might have just been my personal mentions, but was uh, saying his goal was to be featured in Lead or Delete. So, you know, he'll have to step up to the plate and do something great on AEW television, I guess.
1: Well, come on, Hakusan. He can just come on the show and do it with us if he wants. Well, I
2: did. I did pitch that also. So that remains to be seen.
1: Okay. well, Mr. Hakusan, if you're listening, you're invited on the show. Open invitation. Thank you for the sticker. Yes. Thank you for the sticker. I got to figure out where to put mine. We did light. Of course, that's back. And next week we're going to have much more bonus content for you through January. We've already had four bonus shows, three episodes of light and uh, the run sheets and spreadsheets that Mike and I mess around with. So make sure you subscribe. Patreon.com slash everything elite. All right. It's time for the game that mister Hakusan loves. It's elite or delete. I'm really looking forward to this. I'm excited. There was a lot of slander thrown around the past two weeks that I haven't been able to address, so I'm looking forward to doing that today, but I'll bide my time. Nate, your elite pick for episode 15 of AEW Dynamite. All right. My plan was just
2: to pick whatever match on this show didn't get picked by you guys, so I'll jump straight to the main event, Pack versus Darby Allin. Great little television match here. Um, really hit all the notes that you want to see from both of these guys. You had Pac just being a real bastard and beating the shit out of the guy and being nasty and uh, you know not giving the fans an inch. Uh, And then you had Darby uh, doing what you love to see, which is having the shit kicked out of him and him fighting back and throwing his whole body and spirit into the comeback. And then just some really gnarly little sequences between the two of them here. Uh, They turned a bunch of Uh, roll-up reversals into you know not not all roll-ups but you know a bunch of pin reversals into like a nasty gritty little exchange back and forth so this kicked ass we knew it would kick ass it kicked ass
0: yeah this what is going to be mine but i had a feeling whoever was going to go first was going to list that i just if you follow the everything AEW twitter account you saw how much i was gushing praise over this match it just I this is the pack that like I hyped up over the last year of the show. I feel like, and finally, AEW audiences get to see like the true character pack and going along with that. So, I thought that was a whole lot of fun. And Darby might be Pac's best possible opponent in AEW just because of the style of match that Pack excels at and how well Darby meshes with it. And yeah, no, that match absolutely ruled AB. Uh, we actually didn't get a chance to talk too much about this on Light. What was your thoughts of this match?
1: Fucking ruled. I was 100 right on Light about how this match was going to be good because I, you know, I said that I don't always love pack matches because he can do like kind of slow control segments at time, but that I uh, anticipated that Darby would be able to sell the shit out of those and make them wonderful, and that's exactly what Darby did. They just, you're right, Mike. They they meshed together perfectly, and this was just. Awesome. I, I wonder, I don't think they've done it yet, but like how much can Darby lose? How how long before they kind of blow off some of the uh, excitement that has sprung up around Darby?
2: Tough question. Um, I You know, my initial thought about Darby was you can really beat him for a long time and make him sympathetic. Uh, and then when you want to start elevating him, you can start having him you know, claw back and get closer and closer and get the fans behind him. And I guess the difficulty is the crowd getting invested in him sort of happened quicker than we might have expected. So that makes the, the calculation a little bit different. You know, do you want to keep uh, the slow burn on and have him keep getting beat by guys when the crowd wants to get behind him? Um, I don't know that you do. I think uh, you probably want to have him start notching some wins sooner rather than later. Uh, but you know, you've got a lot of guys that, that want to keep protected here, and you want to have him in big matches against big guys. It's it's a tough balance,
0: yeah. And this did happen a lot sooner and more organically than we expected, right? Like, I kind of saw Derby along the same lines as Sammy Guevara, as someone that you could keep in the wings, and you knew that just organically, he, if you gave him time, he would become this huge star. And now, with like this you do have to wonder like that Jericho match and that Jericho story was such a good story, but having that literally in the first pay-per-view arc (laughs) might make it hard because you're absolutely right. Like how much can you beat him down? And I wonder like if there's this, the scenario where I think it's too far, I'm just going to throw this out here. I don't think this will happen is if he ever gets a pay-per-view title shot and loses, that's like the last time you could have him beat down in that sort of way, at least with how, how the story they're trying to tell with this and how they do like story writing, at least from how much we're able to tell through like 20 shows. So I I think that they're reaching a point, but I think there has to be like a huge tipping point and I don't know if it's going to get there.
1: Yeah. I think this is the end of the line as far as being able to beat him with, with some of the bigger stars. Like, so I know that they they ran Jungle Boy with Jericho, right? And that was kind of a thing to, let's just plant a little seed, and then somewhere down the line, Jungle Boy becomes a guy. And they didn't quite do the same thing with Darby because Darby's also had the two matches with Cody, who is unquestionably one of the two biggest single stars, and Darby's been right there with him. So if you're going to now slot him under Pac, Pac's really, A, got to get the uh, the rocket strap and and get some big wins. Uh, But B, it puts Darby... He can't be too far, much farther below that, right? If he can hang with Cody, he's got to be able to get big wins.
2: Well, I think, you know, Pac's really on that top level. Pac basically won the feud with Paige. Basically, Drew with Omega, right? Did they have a third match?
1: No, that's an ongoing story, (laughs) mate. okay,
2: right. Well, so he's even with Omega, and, you know, he uh, basically... Had a, had a literal draw with Moxley and pretty good chance that he's going to beat Moxley uh, on account of he's got his eye injury here and that sort of gives him an, an out for their upcoming match so like Pack is really on that top level so you know you're okay having Darby lose to those top guys but it's just the volume of losses that sort of becomes an issue uh, at some point
1: I think that's fair Mike you got an elite pick for us other than that one that I know you would have chosen
0: <laughs> yeah no that was going to be mine uh, I feel like I've talked around about him a lot, but I have not given this person the elite credit that they deserve. And that's Sammy Guevara. Sammy Guevara has become really, like I just talked on briefly about someone that I could keep in the wings and the way that they're treating him versus Pac versus Darby is unique, but it's a way that he always maintains his heat. He's always prominent in these big inner circle things. He's always a highlight being on TV. There's no wasted time. With him. Like, I don't think there's been a Sammy Guevara match that I think has gone too long. And I think they've pretty I I don't want to say kitty gloves, because that's unfair, but I think he's someone who's maximized all this. And the max that he had with John Moxley it was not my favorite of the mat night. It might actually be like my third favorite match of the night. This was a really good episode of the show. But it did exactly what they needed to do. And they moved into that seamlessly. And it's just the little things with Darby. With not Darby, with Sammy as well, like during like when they were joking about how they sent mocks to the hot or to the back. And then later to the hospital, he made like, just like a little, like small comment towards uh Jen Decker on the way out. And I thought that that was funny. He just is someone that he's so damn young. I believe he's 24 or 25. I think I remember seeing someone saying that he will be 29 by the end of this, the TV contract. And you already can tell with him that he knows who he is. He gets his motivations and it's just really deciding whenever they want to heat him up and think it's his time. He is ready to go, and I just was really impressed with him on, on tonight, and I really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, they have they've used Sammy in a way I've never been a huge Sammy fan. I always thought he was someone who I was told had great potential and was going to be a big star, and I just never saw it when it actually when he was actually wrestling in front of me, and even when he came out in that first show against Cody, you could see the the nerves. You could see the the tension, which is understandable. You know, he's a very young guy, first match on national television. But by using him, putting him around Chris Jericho, Santana and Ortiz, these other guys in the inner circle, where he can kind of fade into the back, I think it has helped him with his, not like the guy needs a confidence boost, but I think it's helped him a little bit with his confidence and his, more his comfort of being in the spotlight. And you just see him really start to blossom and uh, just do what he's comfortable with. And now I'm convinced the guy's going to be a huge star.
2: Yeah, I like Sammy. Always liked Sammy. Um, any thoughts on Moxley giving him too much in this match? That was like Meltra's complaint. I thought it was fine because it just uh, distinguishes Sammy a bit. You know, Moxley is killing these other guys in squash matches and stuff. So just kind of draws more attention to Sammy for the crowd like, hey, you're going to get a good match. And look, this guy's like hanging in there against pretty much the most protected guy on this show. Um, Cause even Jericho took a pin from Scorpio
1: sky. So. No, I actually, I think it was the right thing to do. I think it was the right way to lay out the match because exactly like you said, Moxley has squashed a lot of people and Sammy is like the, well, uh, Drew Spears had the great comparison that he's like X-Pac or, you know, that era of like Sean Waltman. And so he can kind of be the big shit talker who you would normally see then get his ass kicked. But here instead, they tell the crowd, like you're saying, Nate, that no, this guy's serious. He's somebody to pay attention to. And it doesn't hurt Moxley at all. So why not do it?
0: Yeah, it's important to give your lost post a spine. Like, I know that's something that Drew and I were talking about a couple weeks ago, how Sammy's like this great lost post kind of member in this unit. But he fought back. And I mean... There are the people on the show who are clear jobbers who should not have, like, elevated ring time and not go 50-50 or 51-49 with John Moxley. Sammy Guevara is not one of them. He is no Brandon Cutler. He is no Peter Avalon. So it's fine. Like, if anything, this is something that could be used as an arguing point for Sammy going forward. So I think I think people who think that, that Moxley uh, gave too much to Guevara are just out of lunch.
1: All right, here's my elite pick, and it kind of ties into a a bigger picture thought I've had about watching. You know, I've kind of watched three episodes in really short order, and two of those, or at least one of those, got a lot of uh, guff on the internet. But my thought is AEW has really figured out TV wrestling. Like the TV matches are all very good. You know, they're not giving you classic matches on TV, but they're giving you good television matches that are all worth watching. Where they've struggled, is telling stories, executing stories in a compelling way. They had a lot of good ideas about stories, but most of them haven't been executed that well. When you look at the ones that have been executed well, first of all, they largely include Chris Jericho, which I think says a lot about why they've been done well. But uh, it gives them something to to study, to look at of like, how are, have we been able to escalate these stories? And my loves talking about beats, how have we found like a bigger beat, a more important beat each week to build these? And they failed with a lot of those. So when I looked at the the beatdown of John Moxley on this episode and building up the Jericho Moxley feud, that feud has been poorly done, I think, to this point, because it hasn't really given us a reason for these guys to to really want to fight each other. I mean, the stuff about offering Moxley stuff, we knew where all that was going. Right. We always knew that that he wasn't going to join the inner circle. So I don't know why I would now feel like, oh, these guys should dislike each other more and they should have a wrestling match. But this beatdown, they kept it really simple and they just beat the shit out of him. They like embarrassed him in the middle of the ring. So great way to uh, tell the story, a great way to escalate it and to make it seem more compelling for a wrestling match that will pay off eventually.
2: Yeah, I really liked that Jericho was not his... Uh Typical entertaining, hammy, kind of you know, campy heel in this segment, either. He was just like all business. Um, there was no, uh, you know, rock star flair or you know, weird dad shit going on. He's just like, I'm fucking stabbing this guy now, and it kept you know, pretty much played it straight. And I thought that was the right choice for this segment.
0: And it's something with Jericho that it took Cody a while to really light up that feud it wasn't the big contract signing it was the big like speech cody gave in charlotte and then the brawl that happened after that that really kind of set it up and kind of went away from like rock star jericho to just brutal heel jericho so i think that that's something like we all know what the end point was and you could say that they were trying to book backwards a lot with this uh mini tournament that they were doing but i feel like that this beatdown in of itself was well enough done that you now have like doubt into it whereas before i feel like we would have just said oh yeah no moxley's beating these two people now getting a title shot now we're gonna go like okay is moxley gonna and show cannon even be on the boat this weekend is he even going to be medically cleared like now there's these little inklings of doubt and it's a necessary hurdle and stakes to be added to this feud
1: yeah, I just think wrestling is and should be very simple. I mean, the, the Cody Jericho story was very simple. You look at Cody and Scorpio, or I'm sorry, Jericho and Scorpio Sky, Jericho and Jungle Boy, Jericho and Darby. Like all these very simple ways of getting to these two people don't like each other. And so they have to have a fight. And instead, a lot of the stuff that, that people say is bad about AEW is when it gets too complicated. I mean, this Nightmare Collective stuff, I'll, I'll just go into my uh, delete pick here. The Nightmare Collective stuff is is shit. I mean, it's really bad. And it was obvious in the women's match this week because it's just, there's too much going on with it. You know, you're trying to f- mix in the hair stuff. You're trying to mix in Awesome Kong. You're trying to mix in Brandy's like weird work shoot comments on commentary when there's no reason for us to care about any of it really. And unfortunately, that was mixed in this match. With even Hikaru Shida and Chris Statlander not doing a very good job of just like straight up wrestling. A lot of bad strikes in this match. Everything kind of looked weak. And that's rough when you're put in there with two people who aren't very good. You really have to, they should have carried the load here and they didn't. And I hate, of course, to uh, come out criticizing the women's matches. I always try to uh, defend the women's wrestling in this company, of course. But this was like so bad, it shouldn't have been on television.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the Nightmare Collective stuff is the obvious weak link of the promotion at the moment. Um, you know, the story that they were trying to tell in the match, they pretty much told successfully and that they got the crowd by the end of it. Uh, the crowd got behind the babyfaces comeback and the big Statlander uh, finish. Um, you know, Brandy was selling for Statlander like she's a monster. Uh, Statlander looked like a beast because she, you know, picked up the the large woman that they were selling is a a big monster and dropped her on her head. So, you know, in terms of, did this communicate the intended message that this segment is supposed to communicate? I think it did. Um, But you know, it was uh, not a particularly thrilling match to watch for sure.
0: Yeah. The match stank. Like I'm not going to mince words They, they, when I talk about beats, there are beats every week for this whole entire nightmare collective thing. It's just, they're not satisfying and the story they're advancing, no one cares about. And it's something that for a crowd that I am happy that for that's probably not one of the biggest crowds, Miami brought it pretty much all night. And it was, uh, something that I thought that was pretty remarkable that completely drew everyone out of the show. So I think that that kind of tells you what's going on with it. And it's also trying to figure what, like what's the end point of this? Like, everything else we could see where like the possible angles are just so that you just have to kind of think about and go like, okay, we're going to take these steps along the way. Where the fuck is that? What's the fuck? What the fuck is the in- end game for the nightmare collective at this point?
1: Hopefully yeah. the point is that Chris Dattlander is going to beat Brandy and she's going to beat Kong if Kong can wrestle and it just puts her over, but that can't have been the plan from the beginning. So who knows? Right.
2: right. That's probably the audible. But, yeah, I don't – because Brandy has, you know, that privilege where she gets to make the work to shoot comments and, you know, take on the outsider's perspective to the show. But that sort of muddies the water. They, this this water is uh, always muddy in terms of where does, you know, kayfabe start, start and stop in this promotion. But don't really know what her goal is with respect to the Nightmare Collective. I guess to be in a position of power, which, you know, we're – she
1: already is i don't know it's it's very silly all right what else was bad mike i'm not sure why that came out really aggressive Yeah, really
0: aggressive like (laughs) is this about how cara pointed out that we need to rename delete because that's a wwe ip is that why you're you're getting like that at me i haven't gotten to that
2: i don't i don't think wwe owns the ip in point of fact i think matt hardy owns the IP, right because there was a whole thing where tna had it oh that's right he does I think Matt Hardy had to buy it from them, mm-hmm. maybe.
1: Mm, how about yeah. that, Kara? Yeah, Kara. <laughs>
0: okay, that, that that's fair. Uh,
2: how dare you do an episode that everyone enjoyed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you took the obvious one. Something that kind of irked me, though, is just the overall presentation of Joey Janela. And I feel like that this uh, pre-tape that they had of Joey kind of, best illustrates my, my point with that, just because Joey Janela got over on the Indies by basically three things. One, he was someone who's, who understood how to use creativity best amongst the independent wrestlers. And it's to a point now where everyone is openly just copying him, but don't get the fact of what the creativity means. So one, two he was able to do stuff that I realized, oh, I can get popular and get popular attention for this. Like that Zandig spot was on ESPN a lot. Like he was able to kind of grasp in there. And then three, his, his friend, John Carlo, making the videos and understanding like culture in a certain way, especially wrestling culture in a way that really is remarkable and played into point one. This Janela promo was weird he sounded really off like he didn't sound like Joey Janela to me like it was very much like I hate to constantly do this but like WWE Joey Janela giving a promo versus actual Joey Janela whereas a lot of people in this promotion who have stepped into these roles have been able to keep their authentic their authentic voice so it's just really frustrating and then this angle with Kip Sabian which is just whatever with Penelope Ford and it's just the overall packaging of Joey Janela just makes me wonder, like I get why you hired him, but you don't hire Joey Janela to do promos like this. You don't hire Joey Janela to have an endless feud with Sean Spears. I just wonder like what the deal is. And that was really discouraging to watch. And it kind of came to a head in my head during this episode.
2: Yeah, I I agree. Um, He, it kind of feels like, we're getting the version of Joey Janela that we would have seen if he went to NXT and it was like, this is the NXT version of Joey Janela where we're taking this unique, uh, fresh voice on the independent scene. And we're putting him into this NXT, uh, assembly line and, and turning out basically a more generic wrestler, I suppose. You know, I like that they gave him a promo time. Like it's nice to see, Hey, here's a mid card undercard guy who we trust to go on the mic and we're going to give him however many minutes on a television show to be like, Hey, go tell people what you're about and what your motivation is right now and see if that gets them behind your story. But yeah, he's had, he's had better promos on the social. He's had other promos that have been more engaging and less generic in in other outlets recently. You get more of his authentic voice out of his tweets than you do his promos and they just have to you know, I I don't know. This is probably a lot of projecting. This is probably projecting based on uh, our experience with talking about his evolve match and then him blocking us on Twitter. But it feels like he was is trying to aim toward being like a more complete or legitimate wrestler in a traditional sense. And I think that is kind of uh, uh, separating himself from what got people invested in him in the first place. And yeah, he should just be more true to the Joey Janelle experience.
1: Right. Joey was always a guy who seemed very comfortable in his own skin and someone who knew who he was and was happy to be who he was. And this was not that guy in this pre-tape. He did not seem comfortable. I mean, he repeated him. They should have reached really out this promo. He repeated himself multiple times. The whole thing about it's a new year, a new Joey Janela. He must've said that three times. The last line, I'm going to show everyone why everyone says Joey Janela is a bad, bad boy. Well, that, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. They should have just redone this whole thing. But I think he's he's lost confidence in himself, uh, perhaps because it seems like the promotion has lost confidence in him or doesn't exactly know what to do with him. Uh, but, you know, I, I listened to that, the Darby Allen on Talk is Jericho podcast, and Darby made the point that basically he gets to do whatever he wants to do. And he the videos that everybody puts over, like Darby makes all those and just hands them in, and they play them on TV. And he comes out with the guy in the mask because it was his idea. And it really makes you wonder if the reason why some people have succeeded on this show and some people haven't is because those people are just more creative than the other people. And that people are really sinking or floating. What am I trying to say? Swimming. S- sink or swim. Swimming. Yeah, that's right. Or swimming based on uh, their own ability to get themselves over. You know, Mike said something I hadn't thought about how much was Giancarlo responsible for Joey Janela?
0: Yeah. Like that's something that I have kind of uh, tackled in my brain over the last few weeks. Like the more I, especially since the start of this feud, just because his wrestling hasn't changed. Of course, he's not doing crazy like death matches now, but a lot of like Joey Janela's rise were his kind of crazy videos. He shot with his good friend. So like, I'm wondering like, the one that always sticks out to me just because I feel like I identify a lot of that with my past was the Giancarlo video building up the, it's not Joey Janela, but it was building up the Nick Gage versus uh, Penta-Sero-M match. Like the whole Kazaa video and just like that level of creativity, we've seen nothing of that nature from Joey Janela since he, since Giancarlo got hired by WWE. So you do, I, I do think that's a fair question to ask is how much of the Joey Janela mystique was built up by his friend's videos and not by him.
2: Yeah, I mean, I still, I, I feel like we can still see that he's clever and thinking on a more contemporary, I uh, think with a more contemporary mindset and a more contemporary approach to wrestling than other people from his Twitter, you know, just because he sort of cuts to the truth of sort of how uh, wrestling is uh, consumed on Twitter in a lot of his tweets. So, you know, I can't, I can't. You know, conclude that oh, you know, it it was all John Carlo. John Carlo was the creative force behind all these videos. Um, I just think Joey has to get away from being like a straight-ahead, straightforward wrestler and just be a little weirder about it. Be a little more, you know, uh, outside of the box. Maybe.
1: I agree. I mean, I'm kind of just thinking through that more than more than I'm having the take that John Carlo made Joey Janela. I'm just kind of wondering what went wrong here. And until we know, I'm going to wildly speculate. So, Nate, you got one last delete for us?
2: I got one last delete. Um, So this was, was, you know, overall a really good show. So my delete is Jim Ross, who I actually thought was pretty good on this episode. Really seemed like he was, uh, you know, dedicated to enjoying himself on this episode. But he kept calling Diamond Dallas Page a Hall of Famer. Called him a Hall of Famer like three times. And as best I can tell, Diamond Dallas Page is not in, in in any pro wrestling Hall of Fames, so I don't know what that's about. Um, he's not in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. He's not in the St. Louis Wrestling Hall of Fame, um, and yet he, you know, Jr. He's going, oh, he's the Hall of Famer. Now Jr. doesn't call Chris Jericho a Hall of Famer, even though Chris Jericho's been in the Hall of Fame for many years. So I just can't I can't figure that out. I don't know if you guys have any. Does that make any sense to you?
1: Uh, no I thought the same thing when I heard it I thought maybe it was like something other than wrestling maybe that he's really good at that oh, I don't know about.
2: a yoga is there a yoga hall of fame there
1: could be a yoga hall of Fame others th- i don't a- know what else he's good at other than that um he used to have really great hair back sure. in, the, in the 90s so I don't know if there's a hall of fame related to that but
0: he actually is in a hall of fame oh it is the the George Tragos and Lou Luthez Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame.
1: Oh,
2: okay.
0: So, yeah, yeah. Where, where's I don't that know. one located? Huh. I think that's the upstate New York one. So, okay. like, I, I, I've i been doing... No, I'm sorry. It's Waterloo, Iowa. My bad. But other than that, I don't know if there's a Yoga Hall of Fame. Maybe Georgia Business People Hall of Fame, although that Ooh. sounds utterly toxic and should be burnt to the ground. <laughs> but, yeah. But great people from Jersey history... Fort Myers bar owners like I don't know where where else he could be a Hall of Fame at. okay well
2: you know the the Iowa Iowa one that does you know at least he's got some claim to being a pro wrestling Hall of Famer somewhere Mm -hmm.
1: you know I don't think
2: that JR probably knows that but yeah that was just very frustrating in my opinion Um, I will uh, while I'm talking about JR though uh, I'll put over the fact that they did at the top of the show, they did a graphic for Rocky Johnson, and then JR also shouted out uh, Kendo Nagasaki and uh, Laparca and Pampero Furpo, which is like something that this promotion has been good about. Where you know, even going back to the first All In, there's like the other company does not own wrestling history. Wrestling history belongs to all of us, and we're gonna, you know, stake our claim on it. And it's like there have been so many times when significant wrestling figures passed away, and Raw did either literally nothing or did one graphic in the third hour or something. So it's just nice
1: that, you know, shot shouted all the, all those other people. And he pronounced them correctly. <laughs> yeah, well done. A, a real upset. All right, well, that's your leader delete. Let's talk about ratings. So while we were gone... Okay, I got to...
2: We're going to get comments about it. The joke is that he's in the WWE Hall of Fame. That's the joke. Just Man, so people... I thought the we people, the saying... people are going to add us on the mentions that I don't want to explain it <laughs> 10 times. Now uh, they're really going to add us. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I, as someone who's been having a lot of people in my mentions today, I was totally okay with it just sliding. And just <laughs> no, I,
2: it just... I would get immediately annoyed. It's not a real Hall of Fame, people. <laughs> it's fake. Okay, the end.
1: <laughs> uh, So, ratings. Uh, the ratings have really changed a lot while Nate and I were gone. So, suddenly... AEW does like right under a million viewers each week. And basically what seems to have happened was NXT took a week off, which of course AEW took a week off, but then NXT took a week off with like a best of clip show and everybody watched AEW that week. And I guess they decided they liked it and they've stuck with it ever since. So the last three weeks, 967,000, 947,000 and and last night, 940,000. They are up to 5th from six, in the demo, went up uh, from a 0.36 to a point three eight in the demo. So it looks like AEW is really settling in at like a reasonable number.
0: Oh yeah, go ahead, Nate. Uh,
2: well, I was just going to say, but I these are probably viewers they've had, right? And it's probably a matter of who's watching live and who isn't. Um, if we look at the possible. press release from their new TV, uh, you know, if you add in the, Uh, Plus seven DVR viewership, so the, you know, DVR viewership where it's still even remotely relevant, they're still averaging apparently like 1.2, 1.3 million. So, you know, uh, the, the variability between however many hundreds of thousands they're getting live week to week could very well just factor in on, you know, are people tuning in live? Are people not watching NXT live because it's a clip shows? They're going to watch AEW live instead. So that, that's been my theory is really it's just a matter of are they converting DVR viewers to live viewers on a week-to-week basis?
0: Yeah, and I think that that's a pretty valid point, especially like looking at we're pretty much out of the holidays now. There's not going to really be too many uh, moon landing-esque TV events on Wednesdays for the rest of pretty much until... I can't think of the next, like, big Wednesday, like, TV show that happened. Like, they also lucked out. Jeopardy finished in four nights. So, like, that was something that was getting crazy numbers. But I do think that there is an aspect of the fact that they were off and then people were, like, watching over the holidays and then catching up with it. I also do think, like, you, like, look at how, like, NXT is. And they, when you look at, like, their trends, especially, like, when you compare when uh, AEW debuted... And then when XE picked up, that was all kind of buttressed by the main roster showing up there and then being prominent on the main roster. Ever since then, we've seen it wane and wane and wane, basically to the point of where it was on the first, where it was that clip show, and it was at 548,000 uh, uh, total viewers and 0.15 in the demo. So it does seem like that unless the main roster is around, they're not gonna like this is this might be approaching their floor again and also worth noting this was the longest overrun they ever had they were on air for 131 minutes so they went 10 o- 11 over top of the hour and a big thing that's always been reported is how many people flip over after AEW is over so if you just like take a look at the two hour blocks it doesn't seem like that it seems like they're doing even worse and then Big shout out to AEW being more getting really close to the 50-plus demo that they've had a stranglehold on. You know how valuable those seniors are. So, yeah, it's interesting, though, and it's something that other than WWE main roster participation, I don't know what really they can do to make this into a quote-unquote war.
2: Yeah, I think uh, that increase in 50-plus viewers is a big red flag for AEW. I think if you're getting competitive in the 50-plus range, then you're doing something wrong. So I think we need more Outlaw Mud Show bullshit, more irony, more uh, meme wrestlers, more gimmick booking. Just got to drive those people away if it's going
1: to be a hot product. Yeah, I definitely think, I mean, there is this glut of viewers who are deciding which of these shows to watch live each week, but that can't explain everything because when AEW did 967 to NXT's 548, well, they're still doing around that number and NXT's back up in the 700s, so there's not a ton of people who are now switching back over to NXT and yet AW is staying around the same. So I think Nate's onto something that they're converting some DVR viewers into live viewers. I just, I'm not exactly sure how or why that's happening, uh, but obviously Turner is happy with the ratings that NXT. I'm sorry, that AEW is getting. We'll talk about that more later, but they just signed a big extension for four more years and uh, we'll get to that. All right, let's go through the, uh, rundown of the show from this week for the stuff that we haven't really hit on yet. So they opened uh, immediately with everybody in the ring this week for the young bucks versus page and Omega versus proud and powerful versus best friends match. Ultimately, hangman page and Kenny Omega won. Uh, Adam page, pinned Chuck Taylor after their buckshot V trigger combo. The story here was that the bucks had taken control of the match. It looked like they were going to win page did a blind tag, Uh, gave Matt a low bridge so Matt was out of the ring, and then he and Kenny finished off uh, Chuck Taylor. So that's the ongoing story. What's the tension? There was a little bit of tension between Kenny and and Paige in the match. Kenny did some kind of trios moves with the Young Bucks, and Paige looked obviously uncomfortable with it. But the bigger tension was really between Paige and the Bucks. And so we'll kind of see where that goes, because this means that Page and Omega will have a tag team title shot against SCU next week.
2: Yeah. Uh, this was like a pretty great match. It's a, you know, a fantastic opener, uh, certainly. So funny that we're only talking about it here. Um, and I just, I tweeted this, but they did a good job of sort of like these, these multi-team tag matches never actually make any fucking sense. Cause it's like two people tagging out to other teams And, you know, people trying to get pinfalls when there's eight other people around the ring and shit. But they did a pretty good job of of painting over that. Like the Bucks were pretty comfortable with tagging out to Omega or they were, you know, they're we know they're friendly with the best friends. they were okay Tagging to the best friends. Nobody was tagging in Santana or Ortiz. They could only get involved by either blind tagging or just running in and basically interfering in whatever was going on. Um, But yeah, some nice. So you get some nice little relationship dynamics between all the wrestlers. There uh, and the, just a funny bit that might have been during the ad break where Page grabbed a celebratory beer at ringside and was going to drink it, but Kenny took it away from him and gave it. So Page just ran down the ramp and grabbed another one from someone else. So just a, a fun, fun thing to do with Adam Page there, and you know, it's it's fun to watch.
0: I mean, this is a match in the Mike Spears wheelhouse. Like I love sprints and I love multi-team matches. I think that people who are frustrated with like multi-team matches maybe it's I'm so used to the drag system style of every team has someone in the ring at the same time. So it's a four way it's four people in the ring and you have the option of Lucha tags. So you don't have to formally tag. So you don't have that construct in your mind, but maybe for AEW, it's something they might try to encourage doing. Like there's always been the talk about how Chris Jericho was mad about the, the tag matches and like, he sat everyone down and then like, there was like, like scuttlebutt about Lucha bros and, and then that, but I thought that this match ruled. I thought I had a blast of a final stretch. They actually had a moment where I thought best friends were going to go over, which really surprised me. And it just was cool. And again, like the each step of this Hangman Page character is so much more interesting than what we had for the free, first few weeks of TV. Like the idea of just like, I, I know Cara and I talked about it last week, but he's become like this very compelling and relatable person that I think is someone that can tag into the younger audience in a lot of ways i mean he does kind of feel like in a lot of ways the first true authentic major league millennial wrestler and like expresses that and i think that that was kind of cool seeing that and, i mean he also just it just worked and it's kind of interesting because i think we all know what the end point is for this team and i don't know if it's going to play out on the boat or if they're going to try to like do a thing where like they actually do get their act together because now they've won four straight tag matches and i now I'm pretty certain that's the longest winning streak inside the promotion. So unless he, unless you're counting SEU through the tag team tournament in that first offense, I take that back. But yeah, no, I thought this ruled.
2: Yeah, you know, he uh, was doing the cowboy thing. And, you know, it was like, oh, this is great. Cowboys are having a moment. So this fits in perfectly with Lil Nas X and all this shit. But his Chiron this week was anxious millennial cowboy. And what's having a bigger moment than anxious millennials? Nothing. So he's really speaking to
1: the times. He's super over. The crowd is crazy for him. Every time he comes out, he's really, it's impressive how he survived that initial push that failed very badly. And he's, he's come back from that very badly as a little dramatic. I don't know. It failed pretty badly. I mean,
2: I mean, I told you all along that he had the tools. He was going to get there. They were, uh, they, they just pivoted
1: in a good way. They have pivoted in a good way. Now I, the, uh, the drinking thing to me is very strange in that they're they're presenting him as like this guy with a drinking problem. And the reaction of the fans is to constantly offer him alcohol. Uh, yeah. A real statement on the, the diseased American culture that exists today.
2: Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to dispute that. <laughs> it's very insightful. Again, he's,
1: he's very of the time. Yeah, no, he is of the time. So good point by Mike. Here's here's my thing. They should win the tag titles. They should. I don't know. They got to figure out a different way. So there is a compelling story to be told about how all the other guys in the elite are having so much success and he hasn't had that success yet. And they're kind of like hinting at that story, but I don't think telling it very well. So they're kind of doing this this other thing. Well, I don't
2: know if that's, I don't know if that's true because the bucks aren't having a lot of success and Kenny, I mean, Kenny's the triple a champion, but the whole narrative on him is that he's not at the level he was expected to be. So right? maybe Cody, but even Cody got fucked over out of his title match. So I don't, there's certainly dissension in the unit. I don't know if that's specifically the the cause of it. Anyway, go on. I'm sorry.
1: Well, my, my point is just this. So. The story with Kenny has been, as you said, that he kind of hasn't been able to do what was expected of him, which I think is a bad story. But that's what they're telling, so let's go with it. I like the idea of, you can kind of retcon it to be that he found himself in tag team wrestling, and it lets him get away from the singles guys that they're focusing on right now. You don't have to worry about that. It adds some juice to the tag division. You got this big singles star in the tag division. And it helps him, I mean, he's already over, but it helps him get over even more, I think. So I would love to see them win these tag titles. I don't know how else they want to deal with the elite dissension story, but I'd like to see them have a run with the titles. I don't think that's what's going to happen, but that's what I would like to see.
0: I think that it's something that they've been doing these like longer reigns, longer than I expected, at least for the tag teams, and maybe also for the World's Women title, that you don't have to have uh hangman and omega win and have a, another like 6 month title reign or another 4 or 5 month title reign like they could get like one defense on tv and then lose it pretty soon after and i think you could tell that story and not tie him down to it and then you could if you're going to do the full split then you can do the full split so i think that having them win this match on the cruise and also then you could say that this bo- this match happened in international waters which is kind of a fun little Thing like the first title match out, that first title change on international waters, to my knowledge, I think that you have like a nice little thing there that you know that they they would make a big deal out of. So I think I, I guess I hate,
1: I'm sorry. Although I guess I hate not doing this tag title change in front of like one of my hot crowds that I know is going to be there on uh, on a TV show. So I don't
2: know. I don't think they should change the titles. It's the inaugural reigns. They should establish all those titles for like at least six months. And it's been like three. So don't change them. And that gives SCU a little more credibility, which they could use because they're like the least important tag team in the division right now. And they're building to an Omega and page feud. So you can have them blow up at each other and cost themselves a title match. And that's where you go with the next step in that story. So.
1: All right, well that's the first segment of the uh, of Dynamite. <laughs> so <laughs> I was uh, thinking,
2: oh yeah, we're we're not supposed to comment on everything, but well, it was a really good match.
1: Yeah, and I mean I then had to talk about my Kenny um, fantasy booking there. So all right, Cody comes out next. He's looking like Don Johnson. Head coach Arn Anderson, not with him. Very strange. You know, I gotta know why he's not getting coaching on this promo. Uh he basically says I was out here, a little pompous when I was asking MJF, you know, how I could get a match with him. Now he's giving me this expensive price, and then it's funny because Cody also does like the work shoot stuff, like Brandy, right? I don't know who gets it from whom, or you know, why they both uh, want to do these work shoot comments. But Cody says that MJF's uh, acquaintance with Wardlow is interesting because he's afraid the audience might figure out that MJF should be carrying Wardlow's bags instead of the other way around. Uh, he says he doesn't care about the no-touching stip because he lives rent-free in MJF's head. And then, I, I didn't know this. Is it true that MJF was on whatever talk show? Yes,
2: you can find the clip. It was the Rosie O'Donnell show.
1: Rosie O'Donnell, very funny. So he says MJF wanted to be famous his whole life. He had pageant parents. And so now he lives off the old-school wrestlers who gas him up. And he says that MJF does less because he can't do more, which I think is uh, probably That's true. A good, it's a good line, if nothing it else. Is. It is
0: brutal. That was probably the one line that I was like, "Okay, Cody, like you're going you're getting in there
1: for this. This is like when I was like, all right. And they and they played on that point later in the show. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting. So Cody accepts all the stipulations and he closes by saying he knows that having this match means he failed as a mentor. But this is not MJF's story. MJF is merely a chapter in Cody's story. And at Revolution, he's going to give MJF his own goddamn scar.
2: So, to connect these threads, I, I think he took that. He said, didn't he quote his friend Kevin on that line? As my friend Kevin said, you do less because you can't do more. Is that, yes. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. That's Kevin Steen, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, that's basically Kevin Steen, Cody, and Brandy Rhodes all have the privilege of, they're allowed to take the role of the viewer and make these worksheet comments in criticism of the show. And that relates them to the viewer and gets them more over his baby faces. So, I just, I was you know, very uh very relevant that they they get that privilege. I don't know if everybody in the promotion gets that privilege, but you know, the, the executive vice president does apparently.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think the whole entire presentation of this was really well done. And immediately said I know we're gonna have the cage match. And then they immediately said it's gonna be in Atlanta. And of course Atlanta being a big town that was almost like before WCW's big thing. The cage match was the big thing with JCP like down there. So I think that was a really kind of cool thing. One thing I wanted to focus on before we move on. This was like the best example of how they got regional like aspects about this in the Bash of the Beach format without it being overbearing or hack. Like having a jitney cab and like the phone booth whenever companies are in the UK. This was something that everyone kind of embraced, like the at the beach theme, which by the way, guys, takes 20 to 40 minutes by car to go to the beach from Coral Gables. It's not like they could go fight out into the beach and there's never a pool at bash of the beach that was spring breakout but the idea like
1: favorite mike favorite shit
0: but like my favorite thing about this is like it had cody of course what well, he was going to do the uh, crockett look and then you had justin roberts who was rocking the Guayabera shirt like he was looking like a uh, he's really dadding out there and i thought like the overall vibe of it like it wasn't to the extent that they could have gone but for the amount they did and i think cody best exemplified it like you had the neon; it felt like a Miami thing. As a former Miami resident, I thought that ruled.
1: I didn't like yeah. this promo.
2: Oh, okay. It wasn't his best, but no. it was it was functional.
1: I'm just not into this story. I just
2: uh... so I was I was kind of struck by the crowd. Really seemed invested in the lashes stipulation, which was surprising. Like I can't, I can't imagine in WWE that it'd be like oh, the babyface has to do a grueling task to get his match. Is he going to do it? I feel like the crowd would just be like sitting on their hands like, you know, it doesn't fucking matter, whatever. But they were like, no, don't do it. Or like, yeah, do it. I was like, oh, wow, they they got him with that.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of investment in Cody. All right, the Janela pre-tape was next. We've already talked about that. They followed that up with Chris Statlander and Hikaru Shida defeating Brandi Rhodes and Mel crisp uh, Chris Pinmel with the Big Bang Theory, and of course, Brandy was in this match instead of Awesome Kong because Kong could not be medically cleared. Kong or uh, Brandy said on Twitter later that Kong was sick. I'm not sure if she was sick or injured. Hard to say. Then there was a Dark Order vignette pre-tape. Uh, basically, you had a guy doing a PowerPoint explaining to what I can only assume is the exalted leader or whatever the you know the guy that's going to be. Uh, presented later. So he's given this PowerPoint and talking about some people that they're trying to recruit. He talks about Michael Nakazawa. He talks about Brandon Cutler. And then he focuses at the end on hangman, Adam page and says, hangman may be their next acquisition.
2: Yeah. So the criticism here is they set this up by saying the dark order basically paid for this promotional time. And the dark order aired a video on cable television, explaining their dastardly plans to everyone. That's stupid. That's, that just feels like, you know, one hand doesn't know what the other hand's doing and they didn't frame it correctly or whatever the case. Uh, you know, that's like classic WWE blunder, really. Um, and the other point was, I think Boss Maz on Twitter deduced with sound editing software that the voicing question was Raven.
1: So there you go. Bring in Raven. So I think actually that uh, this was good and made sense. because what they're the point of this is that they are feuding with the elite and mainly with the young bucks. And they are trying to sow dissension between Hangman Adam Page and the bucks. And so by putting out there that they're trying to recruit Hangman, they can further that plan.
2: Okay, you're doing a lot of work on their behalf, I feel.
1: No, I think it's clear. I think
2: that's the clear story. Oh, boy.
0: I think there's clear motivations here. Like I, I, I see your point. But that,
2: that doesn't if if you're trying to sucker these lesser guys into your stable in order to get the larger guys, this works against you. You have to go like, hey, you know, Michael Nakazawa, let's get him, then we can mm-hmm. get Kenny Omega. That works against you getting Michael Nakazawa, because he goes, Oh, they don't really want me in their creepy cult.
1: See, but they don't really care about
2: that. What they yes, care they about do. If, if if they care about accomplishing their goal and that's their stated goal.
1: But that's not their real goal. I don't it's it. it's a ploy the point is to be able to get at the young bucks that's their main concern right but now. nobody
2: else on the show sells that they're aware that the dark order is getting their tendrils around brandon Cutler, whoever the fuck so yeah. they're, they're not communicating that part of the story they're so not I,
1: trying to get Brandon Cutler. that's what i'm saying
2: but they're not they're not putting over a part of the story where the young bucks think they're trying to get brandon Cutler. so they're you know causing dissension in the elite or whatever it's not in the text it's not there
1: it is there because it's between Hangman and the Bucks, who are but, but having issues. But with the it Bucks stuff. are unaware of it. Well, wait for next week, buddy. It's stupid. The show continues. <laughs> just wait. It, if the, they just if out.
2: they're going to have this segment, they need to have it like the uh, you know Beaver Boys in the hotel segment and just be. A peek into whatever other dark order universe and has to be it can't be oh here's paid promotional consideration from the new world order and the new world order is like hey hogan hey let's sneak up on diamond Dallas page and attack them backstage tomorrow that doesn't make any sense just you
1: wait my friend all right i'm okay you've
2: been you've been right about the dark order (laughs) thus far so (laughs) i'll i'll take it on faith and we'll see what happens
0: i'm officially back on the the dark order train with this promo yeah baby I know I've been flip-flopping a lot, but I like how this was. If it's Raven, that's even better. Like, come on. Like, we were all building up, like, personal ideas, but having Raven as, like, the spooky cult leader businessman is even better than anyone else in that role, and especially for the audience. Like, with how this audience is and how they're, it feels like that they're trying to go after certain audiences now, getting Raven is going to be a big get for them for that for that audience not necessarily for like matches just because it seems like for how these are going they're going for people like i've talked to my friends who say who are more casual wrestling fans and they say like oh yeah no i like AEW because it feels like wwe but done better and having raven come back like this is like a straight up attitude era like thing and it's going to be a good role there is it something that a lot of people inside like the wrestling bubble are necessarily going to like no but is it going to be someone that I think would be very interesting and can help out viewership? Yeah. So yeah, absolutely.
2: Bold take by me. I do not think Raven is going to be a draw in 2020. I think the more likely and better pick for the dark order leader is broken Matt Hardy. I think that's the direction they're going in. Raven was probably just hanging around the DDP yoga studio and they threw his voice on here. That's my guess. Um, but I do like, again, I like the boardroom stuff and the weird, corporate Scientology cult way better than the hanging out in caves and around a campfire doing initiation stuff. This stuff is way better than that stuff. So if they keep it in that direction, I'm happy.
1: My favorite dark order stuff is when they end the show, beating up all the baby faces. (laughs) Maybe we should do that more. All right. Next up, John Moxley defeated Sammy Guevara with a rear naked choke. He caught Sammy trying to do a moonsault press. This means that Moxley gets a number one contenders match against uh, the winner of Darby and Pack, which, of course, we've already discussed. Well, thoughts on the match before we talk about the post-match? Well, we've already it. talked about the match, yeah, I guess. Yeah, liked it. Sorry. It was good. Sorry, fuck me. Post-match. <laughs> Judas plays, and the lights go out, of course. That's a classic thing in this promotion. And the inner circle's in the ring with Mox. They do the beatdown that we talked about earlier. Uh, I guess the biggest point here was that Jericho took a spike off his jacket and jabbed it into Mox's eye which this was interesting right because Mox like hold, I'm, I'm illustrating for the watchers of the of the podcast he holds it over his eye forever which that was good but uh, we needed some blood I needed some blood in this segment would have improved it
2: so this was straight out of The Road Warriors did like this literal angle with taking the spike off their own jacket. So that was, you know, again,
1: just a nice little nod to
2: wrestling history or whatever. Nice little touch for the historians.
1: Jen Decker catches Inner Circle backstage as they're leaving the ring. And Chris Jericho says, what happened tonight? wasn't my or Inner Circle's fault. We offered Mox to join and he refused and smashed a bottle over my head. So now it's eye for an eye. And uh, just randomly throws in here that they're going to wrestle... Uh, Jurassic Express on the cruise so great work by Chris Jericho here getting in a plug for his next match and as Mike mentioned earlier as they're leaving Sammy says to Jen Decker his new catchphrase: hit me up
2: any uh any thoughts on the uh Jen Decker AJ Delario uh post from from this past week
1: I meant to read that and I forgot to
0: is it worth reading yes it is an incredible I think it was really good
2: I it felt very uh, in character in that it was ostensibly about AJ Delario coming to terms with how his actions, uh, you know, uh, grievously affected and worsened somebody else's life, and but that it's just basically all about himself and <laughs> gives very little, uh, you know, gives short shrift to her actual experience. I was like, yeah, that sounds about right.
1: Well, she retweeted it, I guess. So, yeah. Okay, I'll check it out. I don't have any thoughts. I'm sorry, Nate.
2: That's right. You know, thought I'd throw you a curveball. Any thoughts on the newest Smash Brothers character, Byleth?
1: So, was very excited to hear that Byleth got announced for (laughs) Smash Brothers. One of my all-time favorite characters. I picked up a lot of Byleth merch while we were in Japan.
2: I noticed that. You were trying to hide it and, like, buy it when I wasn't, you know, paying attention.
1: Well, I wanted to surprise you with it, you know? I didn't want you to know what I was doing. But uh I just I can't resist Byleth merch, you know? <laughs> I go to the Byleth merch table. Oh no, yeah, I see
2: you on your wall there you got the the Byleth wall scroll. That looks awesome. Yeah, I had that, to get that. You took yeah. down some Jason Isbell posters to put that up. I'm stunned.
1: It's fucking Byleth, man. I mean, what are you going to do?
0: I mean, I'm surprised that you got that one too. Like that's not a uh, official Nintendo done one. That's one that a fan <laughs> created and I'm surprised that AB was all right with you having a bileth of that. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah, a little, a uh, little racy, I guess. a little racy.
0: Yeah. Well,
2: yeah. look,
1: <laughs> is it fair to say I'm a bilith pervert? Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> so if you're going to be a bilith pervert, you got to go all the way. Right. And, L- live
2: out loud. Why not?
1: Right. And I was in Japan, you know, so it's just like you see things. <laughs> Uh, it's a very, you know, sexualized culture. So I just had to, uh, win in Rome, you know, had to do it preach. So next, speaking of Byleth and other (laughs) characters who start with the letter B, the butcher, the blade, the bunny and MJF, I guess the bunny wasn't actually in the match defeated Dustin Rhodes, Diamond Dallas page and QT Marshall MJF rolled up QT uh, mjf started the match in an i bang dallas's daughter shirt which i thought was a little racy for uh, <laughs> tnt but okay
0: says the person with the Bileth wall scroll
1: i didn't put it on fucking national television
0: <laughs> that's fair that's fair <laughs>
1: uh so what i was mentioning earlier the story i mean the way they kind of told the story later was that mjf used a schoolboy to win the match and you know he pointed at. You know, other people not being able to uh, win this match with big flying moves and dives, but he was able to win it with a schoolboy. So, uh, at least it's a good way to continue that that storyline with Cody.
0: QT, the dad core high flyer, was out there. He hit he had them with his QT special. I just love seeing QT Marshall. Like he is someone that like for what he is, it's, it's never like too much, and he always does like a few things, and it's always kind of surprising to see him do it. Like, it's no surprise. Like, that was my favorite part of the match. Like, DDP did get, like, the pop for, like, the the big moments for him. But getting uh, QT in there just doing a plancha was great.
2: Might have to call DDP the grandpa core high flyer. He's a grandpa, right?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Makes sense. i buy it. Might be. be. So, I fucking hated the DDP parts of this Uh, match.
2: the fucking top rope dive?
1: No, that was fine. But, like, okay, here's the thing. If the Butcher and the Blade were ever intended to be anything in this promotion, then this was the worst shit you could possibly do because they're geeks. They like came off as super geeks here. He was able to, with the help of no one, give the Diamond Cutter to the Butcher and the Blade and then to MJF, or got there right to MJF.
2: Yeah, because you can do it out of nowhere, man.
1: It's it's a high-powered... This sucked. They both looked so fucking dumb and terrible. (laughs) I would... the, The only way they can make this not be awful is if the butcher and the blade never show up on AEW again which is what i would suggest at this point no yeah they're gone they're dead no
0: i need to have the motherfucking butcher the motherfucking blade the motherfucking bunny i need the gassed up teddy roosevelt on tv
1: no, this is like when the Spirit Squad lost and they got put back in the fucking uh, packing <laughs> thing and sent back to whatever OVW. FCW, OVW. That's what you have to do with the Butcher and the Blade except it's back to fucking Beyond or whatever. They, whatever.
2: they won the match. They won the match.
1: Uh, we'll no, win. MJF won the match, first of all. He's on their team. Well, they didn't do anything. They got fucking laid out by a 63-year-old grandpa.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's because he was filled with the magical spirit of the fans and being you know, a legend
1: they should just bring in uh mayor kane should come into this promotion
2: okay take it it's right.
1: uncalled for Shawn uncalled. Michaels, the undertaker uh just bring all the legends in and let them beat up everybody else on the roster i think that'd be great i think that'd be great
2: yeah i mean i i, I understand your point i don't think they intend for the butcher of the blade and the bunny to be it, you know, have a significant role as push acts here. So I was fine with it. This was all dressing for the Cody and MJF story, really.
1: All right. Jen Decker's backstage. He's with SCU. Adam Page interrupts, spills his drink on Christopher Daniels, uh, which makes Daniels pissed off. Uh, Kenny Omega intervenes and he says that they are going to have a gentlemanly contest with SCU. This was where we got the match announcement Cody versus Wardlow in the steel cage. Not till February 19th. We got a month until we're going to see this steel cage match.
2: Got to promote that show. Got a lot of seats to sell in that building.
1: Yes. Uh, Next up was the uh, pack and Darby match. Of course, pack one with the black arrow. So Mike, you talked about this. The didn't want to see Darby tap out to the brutalizer and they did not make him do that.
0: They also introduced the last supper and had, uh, had pack kick out of it, which was a little bit of surprise. Like I thought if he was going to win this match, it was going to be with the last supper, like doing, you know how much of a flash pen pervert I am, like debuting like a f- big flash pen for him, and yeah, no, it was a black arrow, it was clean, and it this this match rocked, like this was probably the best match they've had in the calendar year so far.
1: Yeah, when the Last Supper came out, I legit popped and legit thought it was the finish of the match. So uh, very bummed that he was able to uh, kick out of the Last Supper.
2: Yeah, Darby should never tap out. Remember when John Cena just tapped out Sabu, like in the middle of a nothing
1: match on Monday Night Raw? Anyway. Yeah, and Darby already tapped to Chris Jericho. Yeah, should never tap out. No, he should have eaten a Ah, Painmaker. Painmaker, fuck. Should have eaten a (laughs) Judas effect. (laughs) Don't eat the Painmaker, I guess.
2: Oh, uh, uh, forgot to shout out the Hager effect earlier in the beatdown. Oh,
1: that's right. I did. That's a my bad. No, I mean, I forgot it also. Post match, Tony Schiavone comes in. He's interviewing Pac. And all right, so the, the story here was Pac saying he's the number one contender now because Mox isn't going to be able to wrestle. They do this real WWE shit of Mox being in an ambulance and then jumping out of the ambulance because, you know, that's something only the strongest men in the world can do. His eyes wrapped up. Uh, he walks toward the ring. He says, I don't care about my eye. I'm going to kick your ass next week because that title shot belongs to me.
2: Now, did, are we supposed to believe the audio for Pax promo was like loud enough <laughs> throughout the arena that it got backstage to the loading docks?
1: No, they were playing it in the ambulance, I'm sure. So it had like speakers. A, like a
2: local radio? Yeah. One you know, of those shortwave broadcasts where they got it on the, the ambulance radio? Okay. Right.
0: Actually, right. I have a better way to explain it. So they made a big point that Dr. Sampson was with him in the ambulance. Sampson had the TNT app on his phone because as the head of medical there he has to make sure like if something's happening he doesn't want to say oh mm. i didn't see it because i was in the ambulance of moxley so he was hearing it from samson's iphone and was like oh well fuck this and then bust his way out there so there we go boom rational mike Spear saves the day
2: makes perfect sense and i now that you mentioned that i think i even saw it on his phone a little bit in the segment you guys uh you guys half big fans
0: yeah I mean, I watched a lot of Comedy Central in the 2000s in my dorm and watched that, uh, Airheads, PCU. Uh, I don't think Biodome was on there, but I saw Biodome a lot too. I watched a lot of bad movies.
2: Love Airheads. I've probably seen Half Baked like, you know, six or eight times and I have no memory of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, every time you talk about Dr. Samson, I think of, I want to talk to Samson. <laughs> okay. You, you guys- you guys remember yeah. that? The like yeah. Dave Chappelle character where he's like the big time weed dealer. No memory. Uh, I so, it. Yeah. so fucking funny. Okay. Well, I won't uh continue that then since uh, nobody remembers it. But this thing about jumping they out of the thing
2: opt, you can talk to
1: Mike about it. That's true. I haven't Nate, watched
0: this movie like in 10 years. So I, Nate, I don't go
1: get it. a drink, uh go to the restroom. I'm gonna go to bed is what I'm gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah, jumping out of the thing sucked. Here's my real beef with this uh, segment pack only every other week does this thing about that. He wants to have this other match with Kenny Omega and he's going to kill everybody until he gets this match with Kenny Omega. But on the, uh, odd numbered weeks, he just ignores it fucking completely. And he did again here. You got to like, just throw a little point in this, in this promo about it. Otherwise it just makes no fucking sense.
2: I, I appreciate that. They respect the fans enough to have faith that we can remember things for longer than one week at a time. And I, I appreciate that respect that AEW offers us. He he didn't need the, the match with Kenny at the moment because he's on his way to a world title shot. So, you know, he's put that on the back burner for the 30 seconds of promo time he got.
1: Well, this match was announced last week and he still did it? Yeah, I don't know what happened last week. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's everything from Dynamite for this week. Here's what they shot for dark two weeks worth of dark because they will not be filming dark on the Jericho Cruz. So big swole took on Diamante, Nyla Rose and Shanna had a tables match. Uh, dark order took on Brandon Cutler and Sonny kiss. There was a Jurassic express versus strong hearts match. that I'm sure Mike is fired up about uh, Joey Janela took on Ray Phoenix as he teased in his pre-tape promo. And in a match that uh, I just can't wait to see. Kip Sabian took on Michael Nakazawa.
0: <laughs> it's it's the biggest match of the whole entire night. I mean, I can't believe that they waited to tape this. I guess this was in taping order. I hope everyone stayed there. I know it was getting late in Miami. Coral Gables has weird sound ordinances, but I wish everyone was there for the most important match of the show. Kip it's, Sabian versus Michael Nakazawa. It's, it's,
1: it's just essentially- weird. It's just weird you wouldn't announce that in in advance, uh, you know, and sell tickets for, yeah, honestly,
2: I, I think they kind of fucked up by giving that away and not putting it on the big Atlanta show. Like, Oh yeah. you got to sell tickets for that show. So,
1: yeah. And you know, you're already doing a steel cage match, but you could have done the double steel cage match. Oh, they could have done the triple cage. I mean, the triple cage would have worked. You could have done, if you want to do fucking war games, it should come down to Kip Sabian versus Michael Nagazawa.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, you have the hybrid two and, uh, yeah, Kip Sabian. I'm trying to think well, who their fourth would <laughs> be or their fifth would be. And then Michael mm-hmm. out, of course, with the elite. Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. yeah. All that matters is oh, Sean Spears. Sean Spears with, with them.
1: Perfect. Oh yeah. Perfect. There we That's go. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, we booked that. So they should have done that in Atlanta, obviously. Uh next week, here's what we know is gonna happen, and this is coming from the Jericho cruise. So it's gonna be taped. It will not be live next Wednesday night. John Locke. So
2: Mach- it might not be on the cruise. Dave said it they might be. Doing it at at port, they might be stopping at port and doing a show like in the Bahamas.
1: That sucks ass. It needs to be on a ship.
2: I mean, if the arena looks cool in the Bahamas, that's equally as cool.
0: No, this has to to be in international waters. They have to have a title change in international waters. It has to happen.
2: I just
1: want it to be on a ship. That's
2: it. That's all. Dave was not sure about it,
1: so. He just left it there, but that's that's in play, I think. Okay, well, here's what we know is going to happen. John Moxley is going to take on Pack for the number one contenders spot. Chris Jericho, Santana, and Ortiz taking on Jurassic Express. And SCU versus Kenny Omega and Hangman Page for the AEW World Tag Team titles. So that'll be on the show next week. A few news notes before we get out of here. So the big news... From this week and just in the past couple of days, as we found out that Turner has extended AEW's TV deal through 2023. And that's a four-year deal worth $45 million annually. And TNT apparently, according to Dave Meltzer, has an option for 2024 at an increased price, though we don't know what that increased price is. So a few notes on the deal. Turner will no longer be paying for AEW's production costs So this turns out to about a nineteen million dollars per year bump from what they were getting previously. AW does keep the previous ad split that they already had uh, baked in, which, if you recall, basically if they're over five hundred thousand viewers, they're making money on the on the ad split. And as part,
0: I think it's four. Okay, I thought.
1: Okay, and as part of this deal, Turner has ordered a second AW show and based on comments from Kevin Riley who's the chief content officer for HBO Max and the president of TNT, TBS and True TV that is basically going to be a version of A W Dark. It is going to be a lot more focus on uh, storylines and kind of building up characters and he specifically said that they wanted it to be a place where they could plant up-and-coming talent. So it kind of sounds like they want to make it NXT for AEW <laughs> on dark. We don't know when that's gonna start or on what night it's going to be. He even said it might not even be fifty-two weeks a year, but that looks like the broad strokes of the new Turner deal with AEW.
0: So first off, uh the big things, the taking care of production costs. I did do a little bit of a tweet about this. Uh what, what counts as production is of course rentals. So you're your arena rentals, your, I think technically that some companies count since they count like everything day of and then they count pay as it as well. So it's just coming out of their pocket. But I would expect just because of how technological innovations and in TV broadcasting have not changed that much since the big jump to 1080 uh, HD 4K, not really something that's going to be on the horizon. And they might have already bought 4K cameras just as a future proofing effect. So if they did so that's super smart but yeah this is a win i mean it shows how much confidence they had i mean that the original deal to my impression was only two years so that the, the fact that riley wanted to get this edit get this uh communicated now get it locked down and already expand coverage i do think that this is something that uh the big thing that is being launched in the next year with everyone is these new ott services in the same line as uh disney plus uh Apple Plus and HBO Max, and HBO Max has put forth a lot of money so far, and I would not be surprised if when they mention that it's going to be on air, I wouldn't be surprised if this other show might be an HBO Max play, and there might be something down the road, not immediately, but down the road, trying to loop them in there, just because of how much money places are investing and they're trying to get viewership there. But yeah, this is cool. Maybe they go put Dark on a Saturday a- Saturday afternoon slash evening at six oh five. That'd be cool.
2: Yeah. So the other the other important aspects of this, I think, are one. Uh, as Meltzer pointed out, this basically brings them into profitability immediately, and profitability for the uh, you know near to medium term at this point, which is obviously the point of running a company is to make money with it. So uh, they succeeded in that regard. Um, so congrats to the cons for getting more rich. Um, the the other thing though that's uh, advantageous to the viewers and to the fans really is. It just sort of uh, gives them the uh, uh, the assurance that the the product is here to stay for a time being, and if they invest their time in it, and if they start getting invested in the characters and the stories, uh, they will be there to be paid off. Like that's a dilemma that uh, you know a lot of wrestlers have. If you, it's hard to get invested in a jobber because they lose all the time, so you know the company's not going to do anything with them, so there's really no reason to root for them or whatever the case, because you know you can see that down the horizon. You know same basic principle here now we know the show is not going to be canceled in two years it's not going to be over at that point uh so you know hopefully that uh, attracts some more people to go hey this must be for real it's going to be sticking around for the medium term i'm going to give it a try
1: it's also in the, the same way a big sell for wrestlers right of is this a company that i can go to that's going to be there for the long term especially if i turn down wwe in the process maybe I burn a bridge. Is there going to be a company there for long enough? And Kevin Riley mentioned that in his comments that I guess he's had talks with Tony Khan about them wanting to add additional talent. And he said part of the idea of this was to give them the room to be able to pay more people and uh, you know just let them know that they were invested for, as as Nate said, the medium term. So the interesting thing to me here is... That AEW jumped on this so quickly, it's it's a good bump, no doubt about that. You know, it's nearly double what they were getting uh, before. But is it is it them saying they're not confident it's going to grow a lot in the next three years? I think. i oh, go ahead.
2: Uh, I guess you know. I guess you could perceive it that way. You know, I guess the favorable way to perceive it is this is more of a safety net where they know this is their baseline and they're going to make money and any growth on top of that is all gravy and they can continue to reinvest, whatever, you know, uh, benefits they get from that growth. So I guess that's the other side of the coin.
0: I think that if I'm correct and I admit that I have not looked at this in a long time, but my, my belief was it was a two year contract for them with Warner media initially this is about the time that you would start negotiating that contract because you'd want to, because you're coming close to entering your last year in that contract, even though they were on TV in October, they entered that contract a lot earlier. So I mean they're entering a negotiating time frame. So I don't know necessarily if this is buying low. I think that there's there's a good potential that this is actually okay. We're entering we're going to be entering the the time frame that we need to start negotiating on it. And is like, okay, what makes us do this deal now? So I don't know if it's necessarily them selling low in this context. I think it's just timing.
2: Yeah, a couple uh, a couple other points as well. I, I bang them out here. Uh, this is also probably great for international talent. Like, if you're uh, Kenny Omega or, or Hikaru Shida, who, like, moved from a foreign country to the United States to take this job, this has got to give you a feeling of security. Like, oh, I'm going to be here for four years like i'm looking at being a permanent resident long enough that i could get a green card or whatever you know in the near future so that's got to be uh you know just a little bit of assurance for them Uh, in terms of you know adding talent or having more money to pay talent that's uh you know got to be encouraging for an act like the revival who is not we don't believe re-signed to the wwe and might be coming up and is you know reportedly turned down big raises now they can look and say okay they still have money they still have room in their budget to make good on whatever under-the-table conversations they had with the Young Bucks to come and work on their tag division. Uh, three, just because Mike was uh, mentioning you know, streaming services, paying big money like HBO Max and stuff earlier, and I don't think I saw this report anyway, so uh, a New Japan scoop I'll drop um, at the end of our show. Uh, our friend Shin in Japan says New Japan is going to be on DAZN, uh in the near future, so they're apparently paying out money to get... New Japan on that service. So that should be interesting as uh, another, another streaming company looks to get part of that wrestling market.
0: So piggybacking off your first point, Nate, I know for certain that when they've gone for visas, that the fact that the company was new made them apply for a harder visa to accept. And for certain groups... If you have an established relationship over a set period of time, and this new business has now been in business for a set period of time, you could apply for a, quote unquote, easier visa because then you have the evidence of the relationship. I am not any sort of international uh, visa entertainment law person, but I know this for certain that this was an issue with certain partners. So that is something that's important for as well as that now you have the evidence that this is a successful company that will have an existence over the next three to four years. So I just wanted to piggyback on that a little bit as well.
1: Yeah, and this almost isn't worth saying, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm a very petty person. It is just a huge fucking dunk on anybody who thought the ratings were not good enough or that Turner was disappointed with the ratings. And maybe a bigger dunk on the dummies who thought that AW was not gonna sign people because they were already regretting paying big money to some of these other people and so now they weren't gonna bring any more talent in. you just you look very dumb and uh, you know, I don't know. just get like one thing right about this company. It's just like my <laughs> suggestion. you should do whatever you want. you should live your own life but perhaps get one thing right about this company uh, in the interim. So I think big win for AEW obviously. I mean it's like okay, this now feels like this is a thing that's going to be around for some time. Like it's this is not something that's going to crash and burn. It doesn't seem. I mean they have now this safety net at least through 2023. Obviously Turner could cancel them anyway, but it seems like it's going to be around.
2: Yeah. So, you know, uh check out the Patreon content <laughs> yes.
1: content for days. <laughs> that's right. And with some of that money, so there's some some talent news out there. Uh, I, well, let's, I'm going to seg right into this. So Marty Skrull was a big name that was out there. Is Was he going to end up in AEW? And there were a lot of talk about whether AEW wanted to pay him, what Ring of Honor was apparently offering him. But it turned out, of course, that that didn't have anything to do, it doesn't seem, with uh, Marty's decision. He's decided to re-sign with Ring of Honor. But not only have they apparently paid him what I've heard referred to as WWE money, but they made him the head of the creative team in Ring of Honor. So obviously that might not have been something he could have gotten in AEW, but it's somewhere where he can uh, flex his muscles as apparently he might have some gifts creatively, or he at least thinks about things in an interesting way. So something he probably wanted to try out and he gets to here.
2: Yeah. uh, So Dave said that he is not the head booker and he's just part of the booking team but then bully Ray so that he is the head booker. So, you know, not, not positive which way that goes. Um, But yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because people expected that he would be an AEW guy because he was part of the elite. Um, He was never part of the, you know, like in ring little uh, powwows where they were like, Oh, we're sticking together in our next phase. Like he was not in the ring for those uh, sort of big displays of, uh, unity that the Elite did at the time. So, you know, maybe was never as uh guaranteed as people uh, came to expect. But, you know, from his perspective, it's I'm interested to see. Obviously, it makes great sense for him to take way less bumps and get way more money. <laughs> like, you know, AEW, you know, might not have had him working 40 shows. Maybe he's working 50 shows. It's not a great disparity of dates between the two companies. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if he saves ROH, which maybe he's halfway to doing because they already started booking New Japan guys again. Then, you know, that's a great feather in his cap. Uh, if ROH continues to flounder, then it's just going to hurt his value when his contract comes up again. Uh, and, and so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what his uh, what his interest is at, at that point.
0: So... I've got a couple of things. And I have questions I want to ask y'all from talking to people and seeing how things were over the last few months. Did either of you have any belief that Marty was going to sign with AEW?
2: Jeff thought it was in play. I know a lot of people, the, the sort of, I guess the scuttlebutt was that he was, the WWE was a goal of his as a wrestler. Right. So people expected that he might be NXT bound or maybe main roster bound, but you know, I, I I don't think it was set in stone either way. And I think this uh proves that none of the uh most most guessed at options turned out to be the correct one.
1: Yeah, for me, I kinda always thought he would end up in AEW just because of his ties to the elite guys, but I've only heard recently from talking to people that maybe that's not as as friendly a relationship as I believed it to be. That maybe yeah. there are some uh, bad feelings between him and, and some of the elite guys. And I I don't know how much of that I can talk about, so I won't say too much. Right. But that's my understanding, that there might be some bad issues there.
0: Essentially, that's kind of something that for a while, at least personally, I did not think AEW was in play. And as soon as this was announced and the kind of deal was announced, I don't think this is a loss for AEW. I will be out here saying this. I think the only people who care about this perceptionally are people who care about optics and let's call spade a spade here. Yeah. yeah. Optics don't matter. Like it's just Ooh, one of those things okay. that it's one of those things that no one who is watching this promotion for the elite is going to not watch the promotion. Cause Marty scroll is not there. Like they already have the elite fandom kind of pot committed at this point. And when you look at the money that was rumored to be signed for it, a lot of different options now that you have that off the table and not having someone who, I guess, the similar thing is if he came in was EVP. So I think that only if you truly are someone who has in your head that optically this was a bad move for them. I think both side. I think Marty got the best situation for him. I think ROH pretty much now has their shot at the dark at not being sold as a tape library in the next two years, and I think AEW now. Who knows down the road, Marty might be the bigger buy then and then it actually matters. And in the meantime, spend the money on something else.
1: Yeah, I don't really uh, give a shit about Marty Skrull. not really interested in him, but I will say from AEW's perspective, he would have immediately been a big star and you can't have enough big stars. The crowd goes crazy for him. They love him. That audience loves him. And anytime you can have a wrestler that the audience goes crazy for, it can't help but filter through to the TV audience if they're not familiar with him. So I think that would have been good for him. I don't have any any interest in watching him, so I'm glad he's not going to end up in AEW. But from his perspective, I don't think there's any way this is a loss for him because even if ROH flounders, AEW is still going to exist when his contract runs out. So there's still going to be the WWE-AEW kind of war as far as it goes for signing talent. And if he succeeds creatively, he has built himself a whole other career that he can rely on and made himself even more valuable. So I think he comes out of this winning no matter what.
0: So let me kind of counter your thing about him through the TV. I think that they're at a point now, and I think this goes into, if we, unless Nate has another point, goes into Brian Cage being possibly signed, that now they have this base of fans And you're trying to bring in other viewership because now they're back to around 900,000 consistently. And now it's how do you add fans? If I was given a one-to-one and this will be my big hot take of the night, Marty Skrull or Brian Cage in the attempt of getting new viewership or getting laps kind of viewership, I'm taking Brian Cage. I'm not, I'm not saying Brian, Marty Skrull, because I think Brian Cage, someone's going to channel flip or we'll see this big hulking dude and be like, who the hell is that guy? And that is more of an appeal to maybe your Laps fans, your casual fans more so than Marty Skrull, who might already be those fans of Marty Skrull might already be watching the show.
2: Yeah, I don't disagree. I think you're both correct on that. Uh, I'm more interested in stardom than I am in my personal uh, preferences with like wrestling aesthetics. So like Marty Skrull matches do not do a ton for me, but The elite fandom, uh, like you said, receives him as a star. So that's just uh, more valuable in my uh, personal enjoyment of wrestling, I think. But yeah, I also, in terms of my personal side, I think I prefer to watch a Brian Cage match. The truth of the matter is I'm more interested in seeing what Flip Gordon does. Because I want to see Flip Gordon in Mm -hmm. AEW. I want him to lead the AEW branch of Los Ingobernables. Uh, I think that's what the real money is. He's everything Marty is, except um, just funnier, and uh, it would make more people mad. So we need Flip.
1: Book Flip. I'll be mad for sure, for sure. You can count on me being mad if Flip Gordon comes in this program. I will sure.
2: come on this show, and I will put over every Flip Gordon segment until you're just red in the face, and I will, yes. I will love every minute of it.
1: I will try so hard not to be mad on audio, but I probably will be. Probably will be. The Brian cage thing to me is like, I feel like I've seen every Brian cage match at this point, but working, I know he did Lucha underground, but working TV matches is different, especially uh, on AEW on like Turner real television. So I could see them being able to maximize him. And he's at least something pretty different in the promotion. I mean, other than like Wardlow, he's, he's,
2: yeah, got a- he's even, you know, uh, Visually distinct from Wardlow in a in a yeah. not insignificant way. So, yeah, would would be would would fill a more empty niche for this company than Marty Scurll would.
1: Yes, I agree with that. Uh, Steve Bryant is the one who reported that AEW has signed Brian Cage. Uh, Melissa Santos uh, refuted that report, but you know that's a classic uh, wrestler spouse thing to do. So we'll see if he shows up. Uh, Taz has signed a multi-year deal with AEW that was announced today. I don't know if they're going to do a four-man booth or what they're going to do, but he was pretty good on uh, the episode he was on. I think if he's motivated, then he'll be fine.
2: Well, I don't think JR is doing dark. So, you know, at the least they've got a spot on the table to fill for dark.
1: That's right. They've just been filtering wrestlers through with Excalibur to this point. And well, and they're adding the second show, right? Dark is going to be like a real show now. So it would right. make even more sense for him to be, if he's willing to do this, like the B team announcer.
0: Right, and I think it's something that Taz, when he showed up, has been very fun. Like he's someone that, like a lot, like how Dave Brown was last week. You could tell that he was. He's not as old as Dave Brown, but he was someone who was having a good time. So I think that's good, and especially because it seems like that Golden Boy somehow was like being the fill-in for Tony Shavoni when Tony Shavoni had georgia related athletic events they had broadcast you're going to probably feel a little bit more comfortable with taz there as an established commodity versus golden boy and golden boy is someone who's very busy and you can't always get that whereas if you hire taz and you have taz all the time so i think this is good and i think this does play into the idea of dark now being a televised commodity that you can't as sad and as much as i enjoyed him you can't have chuck taylor out there and his uh and I think he had like an MB jersey on last time he was on there. You, you, you need to, for your network, it's an easier sell with someone who is a actual broadcaster.
1: The last talent notes here, Dave Meltzer is reporting that Luke Harper becomes available in early February. So a few weeks from now, Matt Hardy in March and the revival in April. Uh, I'm a little more down on the idea of bringing in Matt Hardy, but um, to be honest, Luke Harper would be the one of these three acts I would be most interested in. I don't really care about the revival either, but I got a sense we're going to be seeing at least two, if not all of these acts in AEW pretty soon.
2: His math is like a little clumsy because obviously Luke Harper has already been released. And Dave is referring here to when his non-compete is up, whereas Matt Hardy has not yet been released, but he would have had to be released by this point for his non-compete to be up in March. So, You know, I think you can add ninety days onto those Matt Hardy revival dates or whatever, but you know, I that's what he said, so that's what I tweeted.
1: But that's just if you're like if you get released, right? If your contract ends, this was the John Moxley thing, right? His contract expired, yeah. He can walk right in. Yeah, that's correct. So now, to me, I don't care about the revival whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But I think it would be a big sign for, and by sign, I mean like a literal sign uh, to get the revival for AEW because it would show that buy-in from wrestlers around the uh, who, who have a easy path to having big money in, in WWE taking that leap and coming over to AEW. So I think it would be important to sign them, even if I don't care really to watch them wrestle.
2: I mean, the Young Bucks feud would probably be really good. They've already been working it, you know, on social media for like, Two or three years at this point, and the matches would probably be very strong. So I'd be interested in that at minimum. You know, I, I have no fucking idea what they've been doing since like their one <laughs> match with American Alpha. Yeah, perhaps, uh, but
0: right. Yeah, um, I'm going to stay consistent. I think if you're going to pick one out of the four, but I think they'll probably, I think all four kind of make sense. Matt Hardy's the one you need to sign because that's the Laps fans one, and that's your growth area. And I think. I
2: just, did, you see, did you see the guy in our mentions today saying that like uh, yeah. W needs Matt Hardy? He'll double yeah. their viewership. I don't I think that, that will happen. I'm so tickled.
0: I just have enough friends. I've talked to enough people who are casual wrestling fans. And I think that now that's your avenue of expansion. And that's why I felt like Brian Cage is a better signing than having uh Marty's girl. And I'm already I've already unleashed some hot takes tonight. So I'm okay with unleashing this one that I think Matt Hardy is the one you absolutely need to sign out of those for because that's how you're gonna further solidify and have growth so that you have people already watching your products like, oh, what's Matt Hardy going to do? And I'll admit that when he was last in TNA, it was the worst ratings and the worst time period of TNA's career before like the most recent worst time of their career. But I think Matt Hardy's that I think Luke Harper is the person I think is most interesting in this promotion. And as y'all said, uh, the revival—it's good as an optics thing, even though I hate the idea of optics.
2: The uh, the real I think, um, key or the real genius of signing Matt Hardy is he instantly solves whatever your Dark Order problem is. Like you put him with the Dark Order, and they can go in a super weird and wacky direction, or they can go, you know, uh, closer to the direction they've been going with the, you know, Scientology boardroom cult thing, and Matt Hardy will make the audience invested and make it work one way or the other, just from the equity he's built up over his, you know, 30, 40 year career or whatever.
1: I just think you start to be in real danger of TNAing yourself by bringing in all these uh, guys from WWE who aren't, who aren't, it's not like John Moxley who's in the prime of his career, you know? So I just, that's a concern to me. And I don't, I don't think there's big growth in lapsed fans, to be honest. I don't think that exists uh, I think it's a something they're chasing that isn't out there to be had. I think the people, this was my big thing about Diamond Dallas Page. The people in the audience loved it because they were watching Diamond Dallas Page and WCW. I don't think most people watching on TV uh, give a shit about Diamond Dallas Page. I don't think they give a shit about Matt Hardy. I don't think he's going to bring in substantial audience or maintain substantial audience. So, uh, And he's going to require big money. So to me, it's... Uh, just not something I'm interested in at all.
2: I don't know if he would require that much because they might, you know, they might not be buying him exclusively or paying him exclusively. You know, they, if he's not wrestling, if he's a figurehead for their vignettes and video angles and stuff, then he makes the product more watchable in my opinion. Cause he, his whole broken thing is entertaining to me personally. And he doesn't hurt viewership. I, you know, I, I agree that, There's not many guys that are, you know, singular draws out there to go get. So I don't think he makes a big impact that way. But I think he improves the product and in improving the product, you know, you make minute uh, grabs at a larger audience.
1: All right. I think that is uh, plenty of talk about, uh, well, really everything. Uh, Anything else you guys want to mention before we get out of here?
0: Nah, I think we, it's great to have y'all back. I've missed y'all over the last few weeks. It was great for both Drew and Kara to step in, but I'm glad to have my friends back doing this. And I'm excited for 2020 with y'all. This is the first show that we've all done together in 2020. Oh, that's right. Yeah.
2: Thank, thank you, uh, Drew and Kara for stepping in. And thanks, Mike, yes. uh, a whole bunch for taking over the ship while we were gone. Um, you know, you doing a lot of behind the scenes work and shit too. So very much appreciated.
1: Yes. We appreciate it very much. I mean, I would have hated to have been in our tiny uh, Rapongi Hotel trying to figure out how to hook up mics and record content at 3 a.m. or whatever. So,
0: I mean, the only other time I've heard people really doing that ended up with uh, the uh, Bullet Club getting in a lot of trouble. <laughs>
2: That's true. That's true. But those made for good, uh, good episodes, though, so maybe we should have tried it.
1: <laughs> well, luckily, neither of us would have used a racial slur, so at least we would have... Uh, been better than them on that count. Right.
2: He's referring to AJ Styles.
1: I'm referring to AJ Styles. That's true. Okay. Everything AEW on Twitter. Uh follow all of us at Aaron Like the Car, at Epitasis, at Fujiheya. That's F-U-J-I-I-H-E-Y-A. Follow it, baby. Uh most importantly, go to patreon.com/slash everythingelite. Give it a try. Even if you want to try out the three dollar tier, we we put one extra bonus episode on there every month and so you can get a a tease a little sense of what you're going to get on the patreon and then jump over to that five dollar tier give it a shot for a month see if you like it um we do a pretty good job of maintaining our subscribers so i think people are enjoying the content that we're putting out so we'd love to have you feel free to join us uh
0: currently the new three dollar one for people who aren't aware is wrestling small business tyrants with one man who's been in the news a lot lately, Gabe Sapolsky.
1: That's right, my good friend Gabe Sapolsky. Um, I've been thinking about giving him a call. You know, I got his number. He's called me many times. I'm thinking about just checking in on him, seeing how he's doing, making sure he's doing okay. Usually, when somebody goes private on Twitter, they're like having a dark time. Uh, they're struggling, and I just want to make sure my friend's okay. You know. <laughs>
2: I think you would really appreciate that, Aaron. I think you should do it.
1: Okay. Not tonight. It's getting a little late, you know, and I know he has young children. I don't want to, you know, affect their, their bedtime or anything, but uh, we'll give him a try tomorrow morning.
0: <laughs>
1: Just send a text that says, hey, how are you, baby? And that's it. You up? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that's it. For Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron. We'll see you next time.